Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. You probably spend a lot of time thinking about how to practice and learn more effectively. You probably also spend a lot of time thinking about how to perform more optimally and what you have to do in that moment to play your best. But as performance science researcher Aaron Williamon noted in his podcast episode a few months ago, there's a third element that's part of the practice performance equation. And that's what we ought to do after a performance, the post-performance review. And why does this matter? Well, whether it's a big audition or a small studio class performance, how we engage in the reflection process can affect our confidence and motivation moving forward, which in turn could change how we approach practicing and how we're going to feel going into our next performance. So what should this process look like? Well, before we get to that, let's take a quick look at the upside of failure, the downside of success, and how this might influence the post-performance reflection process. So falling short of our goals and expectations can obviously feel pretty crappy, like someone has shoved their fist inside our chest, Mortal Kombat style, and twisted everything up inside. So when we have the opportunity to spare our kids, students, or colleagues this pain, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Whether it's correcting their homework to make sure they get A's, or telling them exactly what fingering to use to solve a tricky shift, it's tempting to leverage our hard-earned knowledge and spare them the struggle. But from a learning standpoint, this might not always be in their best interests in the long term. Feeling rotten can be a powerful motivator for change. It can push us to take another look at how we've been doing things and search for a better way. And we might ultimately learn much more and gain more confidence in ourselves as a result of having overcome the challenge. Of course, this is all moot if we're so discouraged by the failure that we spend the weekend downing pints of Cherry Garcia while binge-watching all nine seasons of The Office. So how exactly are we supposed to rebound from failures? We'll look at that in a minute, but first we should talk for a moment about the downside of success. Success certainly feels much better than failure and can increase confidence in our abilities, but there are actually some significant downsides to success when it comes to learning. As Bill Gates once said, quote, success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. In other words, when we've experienced success, it's easy to become complacent. After all, success doesn't give us that inner anguish that motivates a change. And since success increases confidence in what we're already doing, we're less likely to engage in exploratory behaviors. 
which means we end up sticking with a much narrower range of possibilities and often learn less from success. For instance, maybe your upbow staccato is good enough to get by in something that has a little bit of upbow staccato, so you never think to explore other right-hand finger positions or wrist pronations or arm angles. But then you encounter something that has a lot of upbow staccato in it, and suddenly you realize that just stiffening your arm and crossing your fingers and going for it isn't going to do the trick. So the very real challenge with success is figuring out how to keep our motivation high and continue to explore new possibilities that may not work at first, but might be better in the long run. So what does all of this say about what an effective post-performance review process could look like? Well, here's a basic three-step reflection process based on a 2014 research paper by Alice and colleagues that you could start with. Step one is self-exploration. The first step is to take a closer look at what specific actions contributed to your success or failure. For instance, what did you do while waiting to go on stage? Who did you talk to? What did you talk about? How did this affect your focus and impact your performance? The key is to connect the success or failure of your performance to specific actions that you can control. Step two is data verification. This step is all about doing a little counterfactual thinking to take a closer look at what you did and imagine alternate actions you could have taken and how this might have changed things. For instance, how else could you have spent your time offstage waiting for your turn? What might have happened if you had kept to yourself, closed your eyes, ran through the opening a few times in your head, and visualized how you wanted things to go instead? Step three is feedback. And feedback can take two different forms. The first is outcome feedback, as in, did you succeed or did you fail? Why does this matter? Well, if you don't know if you succeeded or failed in meeting your goals, you're probably not going to be especially motivated to do very much. And the second type of feedback is process or performance feedback, as in what worked, what didn't work, what should you try changing next time, what did you learn from the experience. This is where you get to game plan for the next performance, to figure out how to tweak your preparation, your approach, and ensure that you've learned everything you possibly could from the last performance so that your next one will be better than the previous. Pretty straightforward, right? Maybe, but this process is missing one very important variable. And this is where things get interesting. So to maximize our improvement from one performance to the next, it appears we may have to focus on different things after successes and failures. Drawing from previous research in this area, the authors explain that after disappointing performances, we're most likely to perform better in the future if our post-performance review focuses on both the specific errors we made and the specific things we did well. Presumably, if we focus only on our mistakes after failures, we might get discouraged and spiral into that unproductive bad place filled with Ben and Jerry's. Conversely, after a successful performance, it seems that we will learn and improve the most if we focus only on our errors. Because if we focus too much on the things we did well when reviewing successes, we start feeling all warm and fuzzy inside, which could potentially reduce our motivation to explore new ways to improve. So we end up learning and improving less. I don't think that your post-performance reflection has to be quite as black and white as I'm making it out to be, but I do like the idea of a process that isn't one-size-fits-all and changes depending on how you feel about your performance, so as to ensure that you're always in the most optimal headspace for learning and growing, whether you're pleased with how you played or not. So if you're listening back to a recording of a less-than-awesome performance, be sure to listen for things that you did well, and not just the things that make you cringe. 
And what to do if you just had one of those really good days where everything worked and you're feeling pretty great? Well, as tempting as it might be to move on without any reflection at all, this may be the perfect time to identify the little things that you didn't have the awareness or bandwidth to pick up on before, but represent the next step forward in your playing. You can find links to this week's study and other related practice hacks at bulletproofmusician.com blog. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think would also enjoy experimenting with it during the coming week. And if you'd like to explore this sort of thing in more depth, whether it be to get more out of your daily practice or to get better at managing performance pressure and shrinking that gap between what you can do in the practice room and what comes out on stage, you can learn more about the live and self-paced courses that are available at bulletproofmusician.com courses.